In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning to all of you here this morning with us and all of you worshiping online. So glad to have all of you here today. Uh, the passage that Father Trent just read from the Gospel according to St. Matthew is a passage that offers us something very rare. And that is that we get a straight answer from Jesus. Um, so many times, so many times Jesus has asked a question and he answers with a question. Or he answers a question with something that seems completely off topic, at least on the surface of things. But here, Jesus gets a question from an expert in the biblical law. He's a Pharisee lawyer. And he puts Jesus to a theological test. What is the greatest commandment? And the great Tina Turner fills in the question a little bit later for us. And what's love got to do, got to do with it? Um, now, Matthew doesn't give us a lot of context. Jesus gives the straight answer, but, but it does, he, Matthew doesn't give us a lot of context. It looks to me like the lawyer is trying to trip Jesus up, because that's what's going on all around the par- this, this paragraph and all the other paragraphs. Um, you remember last week we talked about the Pharisees trying to trick Jesus, trap him. Uh, is, it, is it legal to pay the tax to the Romans? This is a, a similar, I think, a similar situation. So the guy's not asking Jesus, what's your favorite Bible verse? Right? He's asking Jesus uh, to diminish most of God's law in order to elevate one pas- passage or one commandment above it. So he's trying to expose Jesus' theology or expose some holes in that and and, um, get him to commit heresy by diminishing the law of God. And, of course, people are still trying to poke holes in Jesus and his theology. Some have suggested, however, that the man is not trying to trick Jesus. He's he's sincere. And uh, so he's basically asking out loud what so many of us ask quietly, and that is, that uh, what is the bare minimum that I have to do to get into heaven, right? I, I, can't, I can't keep track of all the 600 plus laws that you people have given me, so what is the, what's the lowest bar I have to clear, right? What's the most important one? Either way, whether he's been sincere or whether he's uh, trying to, to stump Jesus, Jesus answers brilliantly and unexpectedly, as he always does, giving what theologians have come to call the summary of the law. The summary of the law. So Jesus does not elevate one law above all the rest. Rather, he says, this is what is at the heart of all of God's law. So he quotes from Deuteronomy 6 for the first one and from our passage from Leviticus for the second one, saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. So, love is at the heart of God's law because love is the heart of God. Jesus' answer is so simple. And yet, it creates a problem for us. Now, once that problem is 
answered, and there is a, a, a solution, of course, then Jesus' answer, summary of the law, creates purpose for us. But always and only in that order. Problem first, then purpose. So, the problem. I heard someone once tell a story about the Hall of Fame NFL quarterback, Joe Montana. You remember the great Joe Montana for the 49ers. Someone asked him, Mr. Montana, how do you throw a football? And as the story goes, it kind of sounds a little bit like legend, but as the story goes, he kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, like this. And he picked up a, a ball and threw a perfect spiral 60 yards, right? Now you do that. <laughs> like, it, I can't, you're Joe Montana. I, I can't do that. Um, it might sound a little like Jesus is doing something sort of similar. Um, what's the greatest commandment? Or how, how do you do it? How do you live this life? And, and the very incarnation of divine love kind of shrugs his shoulder and says, you just do it like this. You just love God with all you've got, every ounce of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor to the same degree that you love yourself. Just like that. You, now you go. Now you do it. And I wonder if you can see that boiling the whole law down to these two commandments, to love perfectly, has not in fact lowered the bar at all. In fact, it has raised it to the highest pitch, put it completely out of reach. To press the point a little bit, let me invite you to look back over your last week. Now, I'm going to ask it positively first. How many times did you do something, anything really, and intentionally filter that thing through your love for God, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally? How many times did you take pains to put someone else's needs above your own? Not for piety's sake and not uh, for the good feeling that you get out of it, but, but really for, for true love for your neighbor. And you might have a list of things uh, that you can, can name off. Now, let's ask it negatively. How many times did you not do those things uh, over the la- just the last week? Did you ever prioritize your needs, your own needs, above those of someone else? Traffic jams count uh, in, in this question. Um, did you have a thought, a word, or a deed that was not filtered through your love for God? I mean, did you watch the debate? <laughs> if you watched the debate or a Jags game in the last week, you need to pay attention to what I'm saying this morning. Jesus is doing here the same thing, basically, that he did in the Sermon on the Mount. And he's done other places as well. He's demonstrating that the fulfilling of the law is not merely keeping the law to the letter. Which is to say, getting through life without killing someone, or without committing adultery, and without dishonoring your parents, or skipping your tithe, or a hundred other laws, six hundred other laws that we could come up with. But in fact, the fulfilling of the law is doing all these things with a heart of love, not self-interest, not out of duty or obligation, not to earn our way into heaven by checking all the boxes, but really and truly loving God and loving those around us all the way, all the time. Be holy, for I am holy says the Lord. 
Now, I think many of us could probably say, well, we do love God, and we do love our neighbor, at least some of them. The problem with what Jesus says to us is found in the little words, all and as. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and mind. Every nook and cranny, nothing held back, every minute of every day, love God all the way. And love your neighbor as you love yourself to the very same degree, with the same preference. And what a beautiful law. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't life look so wonderful if we all did that? Yes, it would. Can you do it? Have you done it? No. No. And neither have I. Right? Neither have I. In fact, I would say that it is spiritually dangerous to suggest that we can do it. When preachers suggest that all we have to do to live the Christian life is to love God and love our neighbor, it's kind of like saying, well, all you have to do to be an NFL quarterback is throw the ball like Joe Montana. I'm not going to do it. The bar of acceptance is raised to the highest pitch, and it's a beautiful bar. It's 24 karat gold. It's just completely out of reach. It cannot, these commands cannot be watered down to try your best. Right? Because these beautiful laws require perfect love. And I can't speak for you, although I know the answer theologically and practically, but I can say I've already blown it. And that's the problem. Right? It's a perfection that we have not attained. And for those who regard themselves as very good and very loving, this probably sounds condemning. Like I'm trying to um, cultivate or trump up some feelings of shame or um, uh, condemnation that weren't there before you came in. And that's not what I'm trying to do. That's actually another sermon, right? That's, um, that is the elder brother in the prodigal son sermon. And that's an important one, but that's not what's going on here because most of us, I think, struggle from time to time wondering, why do I keep getting in my own way in my love for God? Why can't I let this thing go that keeps holding me back? Why do I keep blowing it with my family or with fill in the blank? Why do I find it so hard to love the way I want to love? So in the reality then, this is just naming what we already know. And so in that reality of us falling short, the very first thing, the very first thing that the summary of the law does is it describes our need for a Savior. Right? We need someone to clear the bar for us and then write our name on the certificate of acceptance. And that is, in fact, exactly what Jesus did for us. This is balm for the weary soul. This is water on the tongue of the thirsty. That Jesus lived a perfect life outwardly, but also inwardly, with a heart, soul, and mind full of perfect love for God all the time, every minute of every day. He loved all those with whom He came into contact, even those of us with whom He did not come into contact, all the way to the point of His own death. The incarnation of divine love, Jesus Christ, clears, cleared the bar not to show us how to do it, but he cleared the bar because we could not do it. 
He wrote our name on his certificate of acceptance. That is the good news of the gospel. That is grace. Jesus loves us perfectly, even when we have not loved him perfectly, and sometimes when we have not loved him at all. The first thing that the law does, and the summary of the law does, even this law to love, is to act like a mirror. And it shows us our flaws. It drives us, therefore, to Jesus, who has, by his own perfect love for us, unblemished us by his death and resurrection. So Jesus' summary of the law presents a problem for us, but Jesus is the solution to the problem. And so on this side of the solution, this side of grace, the summary of the law actually also provides purpose for us. So from the outside, the law of God is like this insurmountable fence. But once we're on the inside, by grace, the same thing acts as a sort of guardrail to guide us forward. For those of us who have been redeemed by Jesus, saved by grace, the calls to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves, these are our marching orders. Right? We're fueled by His amazing love for us, and we return that love to Him. We love because He's first loved us, and we shine that light to others. A couple weeks ago, the church staff here had a sort of in-house retreat. And I was asking them how they felt like the congregation was doing, particularly given just all that's been going on in the world around us, the pandemic and the unrest and the, um, the election and the economy and the cumulative uncertainty with it all. And one of the things they said I thought was insightful, not just about the congregation, but about society uh, in general, was that many people have lost a sense of purpose. That makes sense to me, I think. If you, uh, if you stay in your house most of the time, you can't see the people you love very often, you can't see the people you like very often, you can't do so many of the things that you used to do, what do you do? Like Netflix, right? I mean, Netflix, not a lot of purpose in Netflix, binging over and over every day. It's understandable why we would do that, but it's also understandable why over time we would lose touch with our purpose, our reason for being, our calling, which provides so much meaning and personal fulfillment. And I don't know if you resonate with that. I think a lot of people, a lot of people have gone through this. It's probably true, I think. Last week in the message, the main thrust of the stewardship message was not please turn in your pledge card. It was please open your heart more fully to God. I ask you to give God the thing that bears God's image and to go all in the river of the Holy Spirit. And I ask you, well, what, what might that look like for you? And, of course, the specifics of what that looks like for, uh, for each of us is going to vary by individual. But for all of us, the very heart must be to love God all the way and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. 
We want to seek continually those corners of our hearts and souls and minds that are not given over to God or that we've taken back from God and give Him those things again. We, I mean, that's called repentance. And we, we want to find out ways to be a blessing to others. Now, let me tell you, good news, you got, you got an opportunity for practice. Coming up this week and next week, probably for weeks to come, everybody's saying how much unrest there's going to be with the election. Win or lose, no matter who wins or loses, varsity level, love your neighbor as yourself opportunity uh, coming up. Because regardless of who wins or loses, you're going to have a chance to love people who think differently than you do politically. You will. Not just to put up with them or to pretend to be nice, but to actually love them as you love yourself. To be a beacon of Christian love and vitality and grace and mercy. People are talking about all this unrest that's going to happen. I mean, if, if the solution can't start in the church, where can it start? Jesus, we don't have an earthly Messiah. Jesus is on the throne. And it's our privilege to share his love. It doesn't have to stop with politics. Of course, you can, if you can think of someone that you used to see regularly but have not seen since the pandemic, call them. Reach out. Do not wait for them to reach out to you. They should know I'm the one that's lonely. Love your neighbor. Reach out. Call them. If you know someone who has been isolated or lonely, who can't get out, call them. Take them a meal. Write them a note. Let them know that you are thinking about them. If you have a broken relationship, seek reconciliation. As far as it depends on you, they may not respond. That's between them and the Lord. Love your neighbor. If you're working, act ethically. Right? Do your work with excellence. Honor the Lord. Get involved in a ministry. There are countless ways, countless ways to love God and love your neighbor, to follow those guardrails. But how do we do it? Because the truth is, the problem may be solved, but even... Uh, on, on this side of the fence, eternally speaking, uh, it doesn't go away because, just because we're on the inside. And we still have problems. We still stumble losing, uh, loving uh, God and loving our neighbor. And so we re- the solution is to return over and over again to the problem and to acknowledge it before the Lord and say, I need your grace again today. It's why we read the Bible on a daily basis or have devotions, not to spur our intellect, although that's a good byproduct, it's to, uh, it's to be reminded of the gospel. That God has loved us even when we have not loved Him. And that He has given us His grace and has, by His grace, given us the privilege of loving Him and loving our neighbors. So we return over and over again to the gospel. It's not just the doorway in, it's the fuel for us to live our life. And we, are, we go forward in His name. So what's it going to look like for you? It's real easy. It's real easy to just focus on purpose. And to think that the, the, the sum of the Christian life is to love God and love our neighbor. But it is actually the fruit. That's the fruit of the gospel. Return over and over to God's great love for you.
Amen.